Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is a podcast heat and ad free shows special presentation of Strictly Business with Eric Bischoff. I'm John Alba and Eric Bischoff. We have a historic episode on our hands here, as in the last 24 hours, Mm. there has been a seismic shift in the landscape of the professional wrestling business. Eric, how are you today? Man, I am. This is so exciting. This is such an exciting period of time in not only the professional wrestling industry. I mean, that goes without saying. There's never been anything like this ever. Um, But. This is an interesting media story. This is, you know, WWE is currently a $6.52 billion market cap company, which we'll talk about in detail later, but it's a publicly held company. WWE has a global media footprint. The implications of this are so big and not just in wrestling, man. This is like in, in the world of, of entertainment, has there been anything this interesting in the last 20 years? And, and maybe there has been, and I'm so overwhelmed with this. I just can't think of it, <laughs> but I don't think so, man. This is so, it is, this is the most Vince McMahon thing ever. And I'm here for it. <laughs> I just want to say without being corny, I'm really grateful to you, to Steve Kaufman, our producer, the whole ad free shows community and family which really because of the re- response and reaction to the show that was behind a paywall is now available as, as a standalone podcast along with 83 weeks. And to be able to have an opportunity to engage in conversation with you, John, and, and, and share with our listeners, uh, it's a privilege. And I'm really glad I'm here in this moment and we have this platform because this is fun. This is really fun. Likewise, Eric, 100%. I, I, from my background in journalism, especially sports writing in particular, there's kind of this, uh, it's almost called a deadline dud, we would say sometimes, where you'd be covering a sporting event. And throughout a sporting event, a writer is pre-writing their story so that you can get ahead and you can just plug in quotes and be ready to go. And every now and then, at the bottom of the ninth inning, Eric, something happens that causes you to control alt delete and delete your entire story. And I feel like that's what happened with us with our 2023 prediction show that we dropped this past week on the 83 weeks feed with strictly business. Cause you had some pretty bold predictions, one of which included what would happen with Vince McMahon and WWE. And now six days in, as we record this, it, it's on. fascinating. And, and, you know, we're, we're going to, we've got a lot to cover. So, folks, if you're listening while you're at work, you may want to get off early. Um, this can be a show. And, and I know, John, you've spent the last 24 hours um, putting together a great timeline. And we're going to dig into all of that. And, and whew, 
Let's just do it, brother. Yeah. Let's quit talking about it. Let's just do it. Well, the number one question on everyone's mind is, does this mean Vince McMahon takes back control of creative and we go back to everything that we knew prior to this past summer? And I think that's something we will lead up to in our discussions here, Eric, because I think, as you always say, context is king and context matters most when we're discussing this. So... I say let's dig on in and let's turn the clocks back to, as we found out through a filing today, December 20th, Eric. And on December 20th, Vince McMahon sent a letter to the WWE Board of Directors indicating that he wanted to come back as executive chairman of the board. Keep in mind, he retired this past summer as these allegations into improper spending of company funds into hush payments with different women uh, forced him into retirement. And in this letter, uh, he says, quote, now that the completion of the special committee investigation has been publicly disclosed, I believe WWE has a unique opportunity during this critical juncture to maximize value for its shareholders and other stakeholders. And what he's referring to by that is with the upcoming media rights deals expiring and potentially a sale looming, he believes he should be in charge. And he says, quote, Moreover, any party that engages in strategic discussions with WWE will want to be assured that I, as controlling shareholder, am aligned with the decision-making process. Uh, He goes on to state that Stephanie, Nick, Paul, being Stephanie McMahon, Nick Khan, and Paul Levesque, and the rest of the management team have my full and unconditional support. And as executive chairman, I would support them to facilitate unified, efficient, and effective decision-making during this important period in the company's history. So let's break that down, Eric. Part one there. He wanted to get back in charge because he felt as the majority shareholder, he should be involved in any potential talks of a sale or media rights discussion. Your initial reaction to just that aspect of things. How do you argue with him? Look, let's, let's, and we're going to get, again, we will get into the palace intrigue when we're done with this timeline, because there is a enormous amount of palace intrigue. However, if you take the palace intrigue component and set it aside and just look at what we know and, and what we don't know, separate that and just take it piece by piece, as you suggested, first of all, Vince McMahon, and I'm not, I'm not taking a position here. I'm just looking at facts, reality. Vince McMahon is without, it, it's in, it, it, there's no controversy. I was just about to say incontrovertible, but it wasn't coming out right. Blame it on the Sudafed. <laughs> like nobody can argue the fact that Vince McMahon is the reason, the reason that WWE is the global media phenomenon that it is. Sure. And the publicly held success company success story that it has become. That was because of Vince's strengths when it comes to building his his vision, building his brand, negotiating deals. Vince had a vision from day one about what professional wrestling in WWE could be. And nobody other than Vince probably believed that. And despite all of the challenges, many of them self-inflicted, 
as we've seen most recently, but all the way, going all the way back to, you know, the, the steroid scandal that nobody thought Vince McMahon would survive. Not only survived it, because of his strengths and his vision, these billion-dollar television rights deals even exist. Now, if, if, that, if what I just said is true, even mostly true or partly true, who else would be in a better position to decide the fate of an acquisition or a rights deal than the man responsible for making it happen? You can say whatever you want to say about Vince McMahon's personal life. But in terms of what is true today and what is an undeniable fact, there's nobody better. Nobody better when it comes to the business of this particular business. Now, there are clouds floating around, and there are other issues that we'll talk about later. But who else would be in a better position to do this? And I think that is important to note that when he retired, he still maintained the majority. Well, and, and, and let's and let's take the yeah, you know, let's go the other way. And it's going to be really hard to go through this and break this stuff down without referring back to some of the behind the scenes things. And we won't go into detail on it until the end of this episode. But let's just say, and I think it's pretty obvious, so let's not even speculate. This was Vince didn't resign because he felt really good about it and it was the right time. And under the circumstances, we all know what those are. He had the confidence in Stephanie and Nick and Triple H and, and, and the rest of the executive team and, and mid management team that he could walk away and WWE would be in great hands. That wasn't Vince's thinking obviously, or we wouldn't be talking about what we're talking about today. So there was a palace coup of sorts. What magnitude? I don't think any of us realize yet. But since he is the majority stakeholder, and because he did leave not under his own terms, why would you want to alienate the one person who could make or break a deal? And essentially, that's appears to be what has happened and that's what makes this so fascinating man the guy has the ultimate hammer and you know what john i've often thought because i understand i have a pretty good understanding now i'm not an expert by any stretch but the very fact that when vince mcmahon and company linda included decided to take the company public that offering was structured in such an amazing way. And it's not unusual to have A shares and B shares and have the B shares be the controlling interest and the A shares get the benefit from the stock, you know, success, but they really don't get to vote. So yeah, you have shares in the company, but they're non-voting shares in essence. And the fact that Vince has been able to initially to raise the funds or do whatever he had to do to, offer this opportunity to investors for WWE whilst putting himself in a position at the very beginning to know that no one will ever be able to take it away from him. Because so often you hear about people who, 
you know, start big companies and they, they become very successful and they want to go public. So they bring in investors. Well, when they do, they typically dilute their own strength in terms of their shares because you're giving away share. You're selling pieces of your company. And typically people who start companies like this or take companies like this public tend to lose power. Mm, let me think of one. Ted Turner. There's one. Ted essentially got muscled out of the company that he created literally from the ground up with a billboard sign company. That's where it all started, folks. And Ted, with his vision, and I'm drawing a parallel here for a reason, Ted's vision of what could be, which included CNN and all of the other things that Turner Broadcasting has become. It was Ted Turner's vision and execution and leadership that allowed a merger with an AOL and a Time Warner that essentially forced Ted out of his own company against his will. There's a perfect example of what can and often happens with publicly held companies and acquisitions and all that. And the fact that Vince had the foresight to create the architecture of the <laughs> public offering in such a way that ensured that come hell or high water. It's insane. It's my way or the highway. It's insane. It's people will be studying this and discussing this in MBA classes at Harvard long after we're all gone. Yeah. This is just, I'm so grateful to be alive, to be able to watch this. Because to me, there's, I've said this before, guys, there's nothing more interesting to me about the wrestling business than the business of the wrestling business. I know the stories that go on in the ring and the talent and the, all that is exciting for people. And I understand that. Thank God for them or I wouldn't be sitting where I'm sitting today. But I've gotten to that stage in my life where, yeah, that's fun and that's entertaining and I'll, I'll drop in now and then. But this stuff... This stuff, this is like my Super Bowl times 10. This it, is awesome. You called me last night when this was all going down. You sounded like a kid in a candy store. You were just so excited at the prospect of being able to discuss happenings like this, which it really does feel like this will probably be a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing in the program. It'll be once in my lifetime for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty surreal just the timeline and how quickly all of this happened too. And we saw in this new regime, how many changes were instituted at a high level and at a lower level. And now we find ourselves where we are currently. So I want to continue here and emphasize once again, that point there that he said in that initial letter that Stephanie McMahon, Nick Khan and Paul Levesque alongside the rest of the management team would have his full and unconditional support, and as executive chairman, he would support them to facilitate unified, efficient, and effective decision-making. Very important to underscore that, I feel like, at least. Yeah, and, and again, I'm, I'm sorry, man, I'm hitting you with random yeah, stuff no. here because I really want to stick to your timeline. You've done a fantastic job. It's very comprehensive, and I think it will be a kind of one-stop source for a lot of people, at least for today, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow, who really want to look at this overall picture instead of fragmented, you know, bits and pieces that are coming out. Um, 
The other thing that I, you know, I mentioned Ted Turner for a reason, because I think there's a, that's a perfect example of what can happen versus what Vince McMahon early on made sure wouldn't happen to him. And that, I can't keep going back. I can't stop going back to that. It's such a brilliant move. It's almost like he could see into the future. It's it's fascinating. But the, the other thing, so keep that Ted Turner, Vince McMahon parallel universe kind of in mind as I'm talking to the listeners now, as we go through this, but another one I want you to think about, because I'm sure I'm going to go back to it at the end of this is Musk and Twitter. And Steve Kaufman, our producer here did a great job popping that up right away. And it reminded me and thank you, because that's what I was thinking about last night when we get to, okay, how, what, this is what we know and this is how it's all fit together, but what could happen? And I have a very unique take on what could happen. And the Musk Twitter note from Steve Kaufman is, is something I want to go back to. So, okay, let's go. Steve. I'm, I'm sorry, John. I told you that you're driving this train. I'm just along for the ride. <laughs> I, I just want to put that because I think what I just said plays into the point you just made too. Step yeah, I, I, I agree. So on December 27th, a week after that initial letter is sent, the board responds to this. And in part, their response reads, we fully agree with your assessment that the company's management team is exceptional and are pleased to hear that Stephanie, Nick, Paul, and the rest of the management team have your full and unconditional support. So <laughs> just uh, I, I read that, Eric, as a little little, little dig there. Just we're, we're glad that you say that. We're holding you to your word that you said that. Although we welcome your participation in the launch of a strategic alternatives review process, it is also our unanimous view, underscore that, unanimous view, that your return to the company at this time, while government investigations into your conduct by the U.S. Attorney's Office and SEC are still pending, would not be prudent from a shareholder value perspective. This determination is based on a variety of factors, <clears throat> including non-public information the board has become aware of, and the risks to the company and its shareholders of placing a greater spotlight onto these issues. So let's break that down. They said initially that they would be open to him working with the board to help facilitate different media rights or a potential sale. They remained open to him working with them. However, they opposed him joining the board, rejoining the board unanimously because of non-public information that they feel uh, would reflect poorly. And also, as noted there, the U.S. Attorney's Office and SEC are still investigating his conduct. Lot to chew on there, Eric. What do you make of that response? To me, this reads like, as we're going through this, and this is now all, I, this is all publicly available information, so I don't feel guilty about commenting on it or speculating a little bit. I'm going to really refrain from speculating too much because that's what everybody else is doing. And, 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 and I want to be, um, want to be as we want to be analytical here, analytical as possible. Thank you. Um, so let, let's break down the first part. You know, I, I'm with you, you know, the fact that they responded back <laughs> to Vince's letter um, with the comments about Stephanie, Nick and Paul. The minute I read that, in my mind, this, this whole thing that we're going through is a negotiation in public. These letters, everybody knew that these letters were going to become public. Okay, this is not a secret. It's a publicly held company, right? 
And knowing that any communication you're going to have about this topic in this situation is going to be public domain, you're negotiating in public. That's what this is. To me, I'm no expert. I agree. I'm just, I'm a street guy from Detroit. That's it. Um, this was a, this was a threat this, or, or, or a bluff. This could be a bluff in the process of this negotiation because, let's face it, the board didn't want him to come back. How, do, how, how does the board convince Vince McMahon that he shouldn't come back and go along with this decision? They throw something out there that they throw out a boogeyman, and they do it publicly. You're referring hope, to the non-public hope, information aspect of that? That's what you're referring to, the non-public information thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that could be anything or it could be nothing. And we don't know. But now it's out there. And I think that was an offensive move, not even a defensive move. That was an offensive move. And let's continue. This, this feels like a TV show, man. It's crazy. This, this is the McMahon-Helmsley era from 1999 playing out in real time in the year 2023. Just we talk, talk about an NWO you know, hostile takeover 2.0. This is like real life, only this one is entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> so on December 31st, New Year's Eve, Vince responds in part... <clears throat> It is surprising that you did not address what I had sought to make clear in my letter, namely that we have a unique but narrow window of opportunity to maximize shareholder value by combining the upcoming media rights negotiations with the strategic review process of the board uh, acknowledges is the right cause of action for our shareholders. And that the only way to fully capture that opportunity is by having me, the company's founder and controlling shareholder, return as executive chairman at this critical time so that I can work alongside the management team to unify the decision-making related to these two interconnected initiatives. He's referring to media rights and sale there. I would like to be clear that unless I, huge, huge part right here, Eric, okay? I would like to be clear that unless I have direct involvement and input as executive chairman from the outset, I will not be able to support or approve any media rights deals or strategic transaction, including any commitments made by looking for a great mother's day or father's day gift idea. I was, and I found it at paint your life with paint your life. You'll get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say paint your life transforms your photos into a one of a kind, beautiful hand painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload Anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame. And you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WEEKS to 87204. That's weeks to 87204. Text weeks to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death 
in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook Games. Or on behalf of the company regarding a potential transaction or process. So, layman's terms, Vince says, "My way or the highway." <laughs> without me, exactly. But it, but again, it goes. It, 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 but this ties back into. He's the largest shareholder. He has the most to gain and the most to lose as a shareholder. And but but I want to stop you there. Is yeah. it strictly because of that or knowing Vince McMahon like you do and there's a public perception of Vince McMahon you got to think it's more than just well I'm the largest shareholder so therefore everything should go through me. There's something much bigger going on here with who Vince McMahon is what he craves in terms of power. I, I would be remiss if I did not at least pose that to you. Look, I've said this a hundred times, and, and I'll, I'll probably say it a hundred more times before the weekend's over. I don't know Vince McMahon, and I don't think anybody other than immediate family and those confidants who have been with Vince for a long time really understand Vince McMahon. We, we've we all become, as, as wrestling fans, I'm going to count myself as a wrestling fan first because I was a fan of Vince McMahon before I ever got into the wrestling business. We've all essentially grown up knowing the public-facing character of Vince McMahon. And we've developed impressions of Vince McMahon Based on that, we've talked often about, you know, one of the things that makes professional wrestling so unique compared to other forms of entertainment in terms of its characters and relationship to the audience is, is the fact that when you take a, a Vince McMahon or an Eric Bischoff or a Tony Khan or a Paul Heyman back in ECW days and you put these people who have a voice or in some cases, obviously controlling interest in the brand. When you put them on television as characters, you blur the lines are intentionally blurred between the real person and that person's motivations and characters, so forth. And the character they play on TV. I'm, I'm, I, I still live with that to this day, and I'm grateful for it, by the way. But it's still true. People have a perception of me based on what they saw of me on television and consequently what they what they think they know about me through the you know, media coverage and, care, and narrative. Same is true here. You know, I have I, – I spent only four months, which is my coffee never even got cold – that's how little time I really got to spend with Vince McMahon in the big scheme of things. But for four months, I spent a significant amount of time every week, either one-on-one or in a very closed group with Vince McMahon. Did that give me some insight into him? It gave me insight into an aspect of Vince McMahon, but I, I would be remiss. I'd be lying if, if I implied to anybody listening to this I kind of know Vince McMahon. Clearly, if that would have been true, my predictions on this week's <laughs> Strictly Business would have been a little different. Yeah. Um, so, go back again and pose the question because I've confused myself. No, well, and, and I'm going to add on to this then. So, again, we just covered that 
no media rights deal or sale or strategic transaction of any sorts happens without him. And he goes on to say this position is not driven by self-interest or lack of confidence in the company's management team, but rather by my commitment to doing what is best for WWE and all its shareholders. And Can my we stop right there. Go ahead. That's really important. Another point that I want to make here is we're going through this the filing public domain yep. and this correspondence that's out there in the universe now. Um, Keep in mind that when these letters are drafted, they're going through a legal review. Everybody's every word on these pages are on these pages after they've been vetted before they're sent after they've been vetted, knowing that all of this stuff is going to come out. You're going to have the SEC looking at a lot of this stuff. There's potentially lawsuits that could happen in the future. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe this thing just ends up wonderful, and I hope that's the case. But in today's culture, you can just anticipate getting sued for just about anything when you're playing at this level. So when I say that, because we have to not only read things at face value, but know that probably 75% of the narrative in these documents are done so to cover your ass. Because you know what's coming. Again, it's a publicly held corporation. So you know that the WWE board and the CEOs currently are going to make sure that they don't say anything wrong, that they play within those lines. This thing is all being the, – the, the guardrails here, folks – is this is a publicly held company and there's going to be a lot of things in these documents that are said to make sure that this entire process is in line with with, with the SEC. And that piggybacks off of what I initially posed to you, which was he states pretty clearly there that his sole intention here is to try to do what's best for business. You've used that line a million times. It was something that made his Vince McMahon moniker go from kayfabe to reality best for business but and, it, and it's also again to, to and i'm sorry to interrupt you but no, this, is, this is so complicated going back to what i said moments ago about everybody's positioning this narrative with the sec in mind because this is where it's all going to end up in one way shape or form and not necessarily in a negative adverse light but you have to play by certain rules when you're a publicly held company and what's best for business while it is a moniker, as you say, or, or a branding statement from Vince McMahon, in, in other words, it's called the fiduciary responsibility. And for any shareholder or a major shareholder to act outside of his or her fiduciary responsibility opens you up and makes you very, very vulnerable. So, of course, that language is in there. And I'm not saying that Vince doesn't feel that way. I'm, I think he does. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he's convinced. There's no doubt in my mind. He's, I'm sure he's convinced he can drive this stock price to a higher value or rights fees than he's better at it than anybody. So we started this. He's proven himself to be able to do it. But that statement is as much about fiduciary responsibility within the framework of SEC guidelines as it is what's best for business. It's actually both. It's cool. It's funny because I was going through the filing itself and there's a little section of it too that basically says that Vince as executive chairperson reserves the right to change his mind on what is best for business more or less. 
And Isn't that great? So, so I, I mean, I, I'm going to say it out loud, brother. I've said it to a few folks. You know, I've said it to a few people. Vince is my hero. When it, I mean, I thought up until recently, I thought you know, because following the Elon Musk story, I thought would be the most fascinating business story that I'd ever have the privilege of being able to sit and watch, right? This kind of tops that. Now that Musk Twitter story has broader cultural implications and obviously political implications. But when it comes to just the intrigue of it all and the positioning of it all, man, this is right there with Elon Musk and Twitter. And I do want to say this because I do think it's a very important part of this story that in the general scheme of the excitement of what's happening right now, for better or for worse, we we are talking about a guy that was put under investigation for using hush money regarding allegations, some of which are are pretty extreme sexual misconduct. So I I do just want to put that out there as an underlying thing that is happening here. There's been a pretty uh, empowered reaction to everything going on by all different sections of wrestling fans, wrestling media, and even mainstream media as well. And I just do think that is important in telling this full story that you do need to put that uh, as part of one of the layers to everything. And yeah, but let's also put, I also, and again, I'm, I know I'm going to come off like I'm defending Vince here, but it's so easy because of the nature of the allegations and, and the revelation of things that, that we know to be true, mm-hmm. but they're salacious. They're not necessarily illegal. You can argue and it probably will be, um, about the ethical nature of it and things like that and and how it affected WWE, you can argue that if you choose to. But people also have to remember that if anybody, if I had signed an NDA with an employee or if I had ended up in an affair with an employee and we both realized it's not going to continue, we're going to move forward, but I happen to be a fairly high-profile public figure, and I sit down with this individual and say, hey, look, we had some fun. It was, a, you know, whatever. It was what it was, uh, but now it's over. But in light of this situation, here's a check. You promise to keep your mouth shut. That is not an illegal act. You can argue it's an immoral act. You can argue it's an unethical act, I guess. You can you know, despise the guy, or you could, you may think, man, the guy's got game. You can think whatever you want to think emotionally about it, but legally, I don't think that there's any exposure there unless I'm wrong about something. Well, there are allegations of attempted rape out there as well, like from Rita Chatterton and stuff like that. So that, that is a somewhat. It's out there. It's out there, but has any, there's no, it hasn't been adjudicated. It hasn't been out there in court. It's an allegation. And I've been subject to, to allegations myself that were so absolutely false and could have been very damaging that came up in a, as a result of a lawsuit. Obviously, we were able to prove that it didn't really happen and all that. But an allegation, you can allege anything. And I'm not taking anything away from those allegations. They may indeed be true. And somewhere down the line, we're going to find out. But at this moment, Yes, that is that cloud I referred to mm-hmm. that's hanging over this whole thing. And it's a wild card. There's no doubt about it. We'll get into that. But as of this moment today, if we're going to do this based on what we know and what we don't know, 
Let's keep them separated. We do know that there are allegations out there, but as of this moment, there's nothing illegal in Vince's docket that should affect this. Well, the the uh, utilization of company funds in paying some of the hush money is, is something that is still being investigated. And there we go. that is there part go. of the filing as well here where he has not repaid all that money yet. So that is something that it, it's a pretty significant part of this. At the oh, end it of is. The- I, I don't want to dismiss it. I yeah. just want to work extra hard to stay within what we know and what we sure. don't know. I don't well, mind referencing these things because it's all a part of it. Yeah. But let's be sure we... Mm-hmm don't imply that there are legal implications that don't currently at this moment exist. So in the filing, Vince actually, as the controlling interest here, makes changes to WWE's bylaws. So now media rights and any potential company sale or transaction by bylaw has to go through him. Uh, That's pretty significant, isn't it? Yeah. Now I'm, I'm definitely not familiar enough with, corporate law or, or, or anything remotely close to this type of a situation. So I, I can't speak from any experience whatsoever. I only know what everybody else knows, but to me, that just is really aggressive and very significant. And it, it, it foreshadows, I think what's down the road. It does. And it foreshadowed what would be to come here. On January 5th, yesterday, as we record this, on Thursday night, a Wall Street Journal article dropped stating Vince's plan to return is in motion. And then shortly thereafter, he released a press statement where he said that he would be requesting election to the board alongside the return of Michelle Wilson and George Barrios, who were both co-presidents and board members of WWE. And they are back with him. And in order to do that, he would have to pave way by removing at least three members of the WWE board in the process. He says in that press statement, the only way for WWE to fully capitalize on this opportunity, referring to a transaction, is for me to return as executive chairman and support the management team in the negotiations for our media rights and to combine that with the review of strategic alternatives. My return will allow WWE, as well as any transaction counterparties, to engage in these processes, knowing they will have the support of the controlling shareholders. So that, Eric, really is the underlying argument that Vince has been going back to here, that Mm -hmm. this is necessary because I am the controlling shareholder and therefore any move that is made will not be made with the person at the top in mind. That has been his whole argument for implicating this whole thing. So with that in mind, do you see that as improper or proper leveraging of the situation? I don't, I don't know that it's, you could classify it as proper or improper. It's certainly proper for Vince McMahon, and he's certainly within his rights to do it. So there, and by default, then it's proper. I mean, there's no other way to look at that from a judgmental point of view. You can now you can have an opinion of whether you think it's a good idea or a bad idea, mm-hmm. but in terms of what's legal and and appropriate from Vince McMahon's point of view, and what's not. This certainly is. But here's here's the thing I want to go back to in this. And this is where, you know, this is one of the reasons I was like bouncing off the walls last night. And again, we're going to tie back into the end of this episode when we talk about the palace intrigue. Yep. But the most shocking part of, of 
the early part of yesterday because it was a shocking day. Bringing his people back? Yeah, because it was just, what, two years ago, they got fired. Now, this in, they got fired, which was, I remember I was in Huntsville uh, with Conrad uh, when it happened. And I, I was shocked. And I immediately started tracking the stock. And the stock, you know, ended up down around 34, 35 bucks. Talking 24 months ago. Because that, and, and the stock tanked, not because the market necessarily were in love with George and Michelle, but typically the stock market does not like uncertainty. And when you fire your two co-presidents, like from out of nowhere, and bring them back 24 months later under these circumstances, whoa. So it brings me to what I always, in any situation like this, even when I'm watching a great movie or something on television, why? Why George and Michelle? How, whose decision was it really to fire George and Michelle? Was it Vince McMahon's or did Vince go along with it? Well, as we know, this was around the time that Nick Khan was coming into the company. And mm, there you go. Palace intrigue. We'll get to it. But that's, and it's hard to separate it. But while we're breaking this down and analyzing it, there's just some obvious questions that you have to at least think about, which is why? What was the motivation behind letting George and Michelle go in the first place? Who was behind it? Because the, the, those two answers will probably tell you more about where we're going on this ride than anything. Um, because I, that, I thought it was so, I was shocked. Did you ever have any interactions with either of them? Uh, yeah, a little bit, uh, you know, through the course of business, you know, meetings and such like that. But, you know, we never went out and broke bread. Why do you think, just from your observations on that, they work well with Vince? I never, I, I didn't get close enough to the, okay. the interaction to be able to tell you. Gotcha. Here's what I do know. You either function at a very high level and in, in a way that appeals to Vince McMahon or you're not there long. That's a fair point. So there, they clearly was able to get Vince's confidence. And I think a lot of that probably goes back to some negotiations early on, TV rights and things like that, which I believe George and Michelle were very much in, yes. instrumental in. Huge. They have even initiated the Fox opportunity, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so they clearly earned his respect or he wouldn't be working with them now, but the, I'm, I'm going to keep going back to why were they let go? Who wanted them to be let go? And mm-hmm. why did they come back right now? I mean, I think that part of that is obvious. Well, at the end of that press release, he said, I look forward to working closely again with Michelle and George, as well as the company's remaining directors and management team who have my full support and confidence. WWE has an exceptional management team in place, and I do not intend for my return to have any impact on their roles, duties, or responsibilities. Intend. I love the word intend. Exactly. I'm glad that you picked up on that word being thrown in there as well, because there's a lot of things we don't intend for in life, and then things just happen sometimes which ultimately led Eric to a press release from WWE this morning. 
that says, Today we announce that the founder of WWE, Vince McMahon, will be returning to the board, said Chairwoman and Co-CEO Stephanie McMahon, Co-CEO Nick Khan, and Chief Content Officer Paul Levesque. We also welcome back Michelle Wilson and George Berrios to our board of directors. Together, we look forward to exploring all strategic alternatives to maximize shareholder value. And then, in the WWE press release, this pops me huge, Eric, they reiterate, as Vince McMahon stated yesterday, WWE has an exceptional management team in place, and I do not intend for my return to have any impact on their roles, duties, or responsibilities. Almost as if to say, hey, Vince, just remember, you said this. These were your words, and we're putting it in to the public court of opinion. I was reading through the press release, Eric, and one line caught me in particular. The Wall Street Journal article, of course, said Vince was doing this to pursue not just media rights, but ultimately explore a sale. Well, the WWE press release says there is no assurance that this process will result in a transaction. But again, and I think this goes back to the kind of language Mm -hmm. that needs to be covering your ass press release when you're talking about a publicly held company. Mm hmm. Because you don't want to mislead investors and you don't want everybody going, they're going to sell. I'm going to buy shares today, hoping it's going to go up when it may not happen. Nobody knows for sure what's going to happen. And if you don't put language in there, it's a disclaimer. Just like there's probably a longer disclaimer at the end of that actual press release than there was a press release, right? There's a lot of cover your ass language that has to go into these kind of documents for the public. And I think that that's one of them. I, I don't think anything should be read into that, really. What do you think about them reiterating what Vince said about no one's roles changing? And it's interesting. There's three times now we've we've read almost the exact same yep. verbiage, you know, which tells me there's some pound century going on there, folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, WWE, as we tape this, is holding a 3.30 p.m. Eastern all hands on deck meeting according to our friends at PW Insider and Fightful. As we record this, WWE stock is up nearly 20% today to 85.88 a share. Is I wonder if that's a record. It might be. If it's not, it's close. Uh, and in the last hour, even as we record this, there have been some chiming in from different investment partners. Uh, investment firm MKM uh, believes that Comcast... NBC Universal uh, is the company that ultimately could end up, as they say, with its hand raised in victory buying WWE. Analyst Eric Handler, who has a buy rating and a $90 a share price target on WWE stock, says that WWE is a very attractive asset. Quote, in our view, there's a scarcity of independent content creators that can match the global popularity and size of WWE. And in a note on Friday as well, benchmark analyst Mike Hickey said, WWE could be worth as much as $105 per share, citing the previous sale of UFC to Endeavor. And if that were the case, Eric, that would be higher than where Tesla currently sits. Massive. Well, yes, but that, no, Current, that currently, how, how, currently. How, many, how many shares are out there for Tesla versus how many I'm shares saying, are out there for I understand. Two I'm different, saying. you know, one's got one market cap, the other's got another. But yes, yes. 
you can make that comparison. Our producer, Steve, pulling up some of the related stocks there, looking at Netflix, where it's at, Walt Disney, eBay. Again, Walt Disney, certainly a company that could be in the buyer's market for WWE. So, all right, I think we've covered pretty much all the groundwork we need to. And now we can get into What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Juicy stuff that everybody. Alice <laughs> <laughs> intrigue. You know, it's funny. I mean, this is again for someone like me who's kind. Of, I'm, number one, I'm a news junkie. I'm, I'm a I'm a culture junkie. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in in this order, I'm, I'm a news junkie. Um, I, popular culture is interesting to me, and in that, I mean, I throw in you know, entertainment, politics, all of the things that affects our culture and helps us evolve or devolve as the case may be, you know, but you look at the top stories over the last couple of months, obviously Musk Twitter to me, incredibly fascinating because it's something that we almost all use every day. It's affected our lives. It's affected politics. It's affected so much. And it's a, it's an amazing business story on top of it. Now Um, you look at what's going on in Congress right now. And the difficulty the Republicans are having, you know, nominating a speaker, all of that is, you know, the palace intrigue behind that, the palace intrigue that is we've seen exposed now out of the Twitter situation. And clearly there's going to be, you know, an amount of palace intrigue involved here. It's undeniable Um, as much as I like to play things down the middle and things like this and not become a Dave Meltzer or, or people like Dave Meltzer. Um, can't deny that man there's some there's some shady shenanigans you know, politically happening uh in relationship wise you know one of the first things when this started popping up yesterday the first and i may have said it to you john I, i'm not sure is what fascinates me about a data point let's put it that way. it's a fascinating data point is kevin dunn still there mm-hmm. kevin dunn i think he's my age close whatever he's probably got more money than he can spend in the next two lifetimes why would he stick around after vince left because he thought maybe he's going to come back and here's another thing when you leave a company now again i there's there, it may be different within wwe but i know at turner when when i was a part of the stock option plan at, at turner the minute there was a transaction. The minute Turner was acquired, my stocks were immediately vested and I didn't get to vote, meaning I didn't get to say, no, I'm going to hold on to them and see what happens. You don't get to do that. When you're holding shares in one company that's being purchased by another, you're going to get a check, but you, you don't get to say, no, just hold on for a little while. I don't want to do that. So somebody was either really, really lucky I'm going to take Kevin Dunn out of it. Anybody who's that had a significant amount of options that hadn't fully vested yet, um, their best interest would be to ride that out, ride that out, because the, when the day comes that there's a transaction, they're going to become immediately vested. They may have had to wait another five years under their stock plan for those stocks to vest, 
but not when there's a transaction, a sale. And, and I experienced that. You know, I'll, I'll tell a brief story here to, to illustrate the point. Um, Bill Shaw, when he hired me, he was, he was a mentor. He knew that I would, he knew I had no corporate experience, zero. I've been self-employed for the most part my entire life as an independent contractor. He knew that I had no skills, instincts, or experience when it came to management. And by the way, I didn't graduate from college. It's not like I was a business major or anything like that. So I came in completely green. And Bill really took care of me in that respect. And I'll never forget, Bill told me the day he hired me, he said, Eric, stick with me, and I'm going to make you a millionaire. Well, the day he said that to me, I think I was making one hundred twenty-five grand a year back in 1993 or whenever it was. And he said, I'm going to award you stock options. Here's, you know, get together with this person over in HR, and they're going to explain your stock options because you're now a, you're now a senior executive. I didn't know what a stock option was. Right. I heard the term. I had a basic idea what it was, but I had never invested in the markets and I had never worked for anybody that would offer me things like that. So I was kind of green to it and I was excited. Well, oh, yeah, this is great. And I eventually got my stock option you know, thing in the mail and it told me how many shares I had and when they would vest and over what period of time. And I thought, that's all. Oh, that's cool, Bill. Thank you. And I put it in my drawer. And that went on for, I don't know, four years. Never kept track. Never paid attention. To me, it was like funny money. It was like monopoly money. Never thought about it. So I had no control over any of it. So there was no reason to think about it. And the day that WCW was sold or acquired or whatever it was by AOL, that merger, Bill, I will never forget. I'm sitting in a Chili's with my wife. It was about seven o'clock at night. We were having a drink and, and a bite to eat while our daughter Montana was in her ballet class across the street. About we're just sitting there. Baby back, normal, baby back, baby back ribs there. A normal night, and my phone rings, and it's Bill Shaw. And he's, I could just see him smiling through the phone. He goes, well, Eric, I told you. I told you I'd make you a millionaire. And I'm thinking, man, I got sent home. I got, I, I'm I got nothing. Go, what do you mean you're going to make me a millionaire? He goes, your stock options. He said, they vested. Truth be known, I didn't even know what that meant at that time. I went, well, that's exciting. He said, Eric, go home and add up the amount of stock options you have and, and the issue price. And most of mine were like 25 bucks, 30 bucks a share, $33 a share. Well, at the time of the the consummation of the transaction when it was announced, those options were worth, I think, around $98 or $99. And I had a shit ton of them. And I didn't even know it. Bill said, go home and get your calculator. <laughs> and I did. And I looked at my wife and I said, honey, we're millionaires. That's a true story. And I say that because a guy like Kevin Dunn, who knows Vince pretty damn well, he may be one of those people that I refer to, that few select people that know him really well, decided the, decided, despite the fact that he doesn't need the money, despite the fact that he's living a wonderful life in Florida, despite all that, he's sticking it out. Now, I don't know Kevin. I, Kevin is a friend. I don't know him well enough, though, 
you know, to know what his life goals were, what he really wanted to do. And he, he, there's a, there's a chance that Kevin just, that's his life, man. He's been doing it since he was basically a kid. It's hard to walk away. You know, when you walk away from something like that, you're walking away from a piece of your life. And sometimes the money doesn't matter. It's also why people have a hard time leaving things like boxing and music and wrestling, you know, because it's been such a part of your life. It's hard to walk away from it. So that may have been Kevin's motivation. None of us know, but sure is interesting. (laughs) I wonder if, I wonder if people like Kevin are sitting in their office with their calculator going, Holy shit, this is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not at Chili's, but I, I, want to get into what everyone wants to truly talk about though and that is does a move like this pave way for vince mcmahon to take back over his creative control of wwe and all these changes that we've seen in the last six seven months including a lot of new hires by the way many of which were paul levesque guys who had been let go when vince was running the ship not all that long ago Could they see themselves unemployed? And I think before you put the cart before the horse on that, there are some legal hula hoops that you have to navigate. I I actually hit up a lawyer this morning uh, who has worked in entertainment, and uh, they they said to me that based on their assessment of the filing, because I sent them the filing, that there still were some ramifications with the SEC that might prevent him from going anywhere beyond the executive chairperson role that we've discussed throughout the course of this episode. But that's not stuff that could potentially not be overcome down the line, depending on how these different investigations uh, unfold. Because as we noted earlier, Eric, there are still investigations going on at the federal level here. So, Again, now we're venturing because now we're into the palace intrigue and we're talking about what we don't know versus what we do know. Right. So I, because we don't know what really makes Vince McMahon tick. We know some of the things obviously, but I just have a hard time imagining that Vince's goal in all this is to be able to get back to overseeing creative it, it, it why do you think that though huh why do you think that though because this is a guy that we know has been so stubborn over the years with this is how we're doing it this is my way he had that taken away from him just as you alluded to before when you walk away from something that can be really hard you feel like you lose a, po- a piece of you i know vince is a businessman but at the end of the day eric he is a promoter that's that's what got him to the dance in the first place. We have to leave that door open, right? There's no way I can close the door on that because I don't know Vince well enough. Right. It makes no sense to me. Again, I'm trying to put myself in Vince's shoes. Part of me can, you know, when we talked about the predictions and and I, I said, there's only about a 20% chance Vince will come back. And I talked about the reasons why. And one of the reasons I said is because, look, Vince is by nature a fighter. Nobody knows that better than me. I'm probably the only person you'll ever have a chance to talk to that had Vince McMahon on the ropes in terms of business. Right. And he left me in the dirt. (laughs) So that's part of who he is. So when I talk about him being a fighter, I'm not talking about it from the sidelines. I was in it with him. And that part of him 
is the reason that I'd leave that door open that you just suggested. It's hard for me to imagine. It's a lot easier for me to really believe what we're reading publicly from Vince, which is he's coming in to maximize the opportunity, whether it be rights or a sale. Because I think Vince wants to be in charge of his legacy. I think Vince wants to write the last chapter of the Vince McMahon story. I agree with that. And I think Vince wants to put a period at the end of that sentence. And I think that's Vince's motivation versus, oh, I can't wait to get back to work. Could be wrong. Well, there's also this element of a potential acquisition that I posed to you via the comments on After 83 Weeks last night, which we can you can check out over on YouTube. Let's say a sale happens, Eric, hypothetically to whomever it may be. Look what UFC did, where even though Dana White wasn't the controlling interest during the UFC sale process, part of the terms of the sale was that Dana White would be retaining the president role in UFC and be able to call all the shots product-wise and guide the business. It's not out of the realm of possibility to suggest that a potential WWE sale could involve similar language here. No, in fact, we touched on that last night. I, I did a show with uh, Steve Kaufman and Christy Olson after 83 weeks, right? George Ramosa and was, and we, you know, the subject of Dana White came up and I think I, I said something about paraphrase myself, but um, you know, these are two individuals separated, obviously uh, not of, of the same family, but I think if somehow you could break down DNA, you would probably find that they're both on the same genetic parallel universe. They're very similar people, I think. And I don't know. I'm not, I don't want to suggest that I know Dana really well, but just by seeing his moves and what he's done and the work with Endeavor, which is going to come up here in a minute, um, all of that, there's so many parallels. And the way, just the way Dana positions himself in, in, in front of that brand so many similarities, but yes, could that happen? Sure. It could happen in a negotiation. Anything can happen. And if, if you're right, if, if this is what you're saying that Vince wants possibly to come in and ultimately basically take things back to the way they were, if you are right, certainly that could happen because it would, it would be a, a, an element of a negotiation and in a negotiation, anything is possible. I just don't think the motivation is there. Could be wrong. Do you make here, here, here's what I want to dig into though, because you brought it up. Mm-hmm. Comcast, okay. Obviously a big investment firm who knows who forgot more this morning than I will ever know about that world is talking about Comcast. And it's like, you know, great. I'm sure there's a great reason for that business-wise. And we can talk about Disney and we can talk about Fox and talk about all these things but here's the sleeper i got if i woke up tomorrow morning and i had a hundred dollar bill in my wallet and that was the last hundred dollar bill that i'd ever see again and i had to invest it i had to bet it on the outcome of this thing i would put my money on some kind of a relationship between vince mcmahon Dana White endeavor that would take the company private that would follow the Elon Musk pattern. 
I don't know why. And again, I'm, I use the word ignorance often, but I use it in the, in the, in the, 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 the legitimate use of the term, meaning lack of knowledge or experience. And when it comes to this kind of thing, I'm ignorant, right? I've never experienced it. I don't have any knowledge. I didn't study it. I can't cite you examples of other cases that are similar to this or situations that are similar to this. But just my gut instinct says, this guy, Vince, I'm sure he's loved this public company thing and the pressure that comes along with it to a point, but I think he's over it. And if he really does, even if there's a little bit of, um, if you're a little bit right about him wanting to, you know, get back to running his company, then what better way than to take it private? I just can't get over how many times it was reiterated across multiple statements there that I'm confident in the current management team and I will not interfere. I don't intend to interfere with any of the roles in which they are currently active in. I don't know, man, something... Just, but that and look, maybe I'm, we're, a wrestling fan. maybe I'm a Jade wrestling fan. I could be. We're jaded, or because look, there's so much drama. And you know, the, there's the work behind the work behind the work, mm-hmm. and we we're kind of familiar with the characters, and we know a little bit of the dirt behind the scenes. So we take a little bit of that, and a little of this, and take it with this, and we add it up together, and we come up with a picture, right? That look, that's why we're all drawn to this, including me, because it's fascinating. And there's so many ways it could play out. It's like a really good freaking movie yes. that you can't stop watching because you can't predict how it's going to end. So it is, go ahead, brother. I'm, I'm going to get no, no. Well, I want to piggyback on that. So I want to give you an opportunity, Eric, to rectify your 2023 prediction from last week here. Okay. WWE. Will it be sold? In 2023. In 2023? In 2023. Man, this is a wild-ass guess. You're asking me to play poker, you know? And that's all this. No, and I know it is fun. I want to. Mm-hmm. But I also want to make sure people don't think, I think I know what I'm talking about because I don't. I have a unique perspective on things because of my relationship mm-hmm. to the industry and, and, and to Vince in this case into WWE, but it's still man, I'm still at the poker table like everybody else. Do I think it, I think an announcement could be made in 2023. I don't think a transaction will be completed okay. in 2023. That's fair. That's fair. And sales take a long time. Do they not? They take a long time and there's typically lawsuits and there's people challenging it. And you're going to have, you you're, you're, it's not going to be an easy. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be easy. The, but wait a minute. Let me take that back. He controls the board, <laughs> <laughs> and he has the majority of the shares. So, yeah, maybe it will be easy. I don't know. I think it'll be sold, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be sold to another publicly held company. There are two interesting elements to a potential sale for me. Number one, when you have a content distribution company like comcast or a disney or fox whatever it may be there is the added incentive to go out there and make that acquisition because you're going to own all the media rights and you have your own streaming services so there is something to be said in why it would be worth a comcast really going all out to acquire wwe and all the ip that comes with wwe 
But on the flip side of it, you're looking there at, at a chart there. I think that's the amount of subscribers each one mm-hmm. has. Uh, Netflix be there. And, and I do think Netflix is going to get into the live streaming service element of the game very soon. But the element that we're not really talking about all that much, Eric, here, is that could a company like NBC or Fox, whatever it may be, as far as media rights are concerned, perhaps be a little scared to get into bed with Vince McMahon running the ship here because of some of the stigma that has built up around him. Now, a sale's a little different because you're taking controlling interests there. But with the media rights, as far as those are concerned, you're negotiating with someone who's under federal investigation here. That could potentially make someone tepid. How? Why? I think an association thing. The press that comes with that. So scenario then. I'm just playing hypothetical here. No, I know. Here's a hypothetical scenario then. So if I understand you correctly, you're saying what if. What if. An NBC Universal, for example, acquires the media rights that the cloud that's currently following Vince around might be a consideration. Is that what you're saying? I am saying that and whether or not that affects the value as well. It could. It could. None of us know that. We, you know, we're, we don't sit on the board of NBC Universal. We, because we, that's keep in mind that's what the board said in the response letter to Vince that they had reason to believe that because of these things. But it's speculation. It's mm-hmm. it's it, it's it's yeah. It could happen. Vince could get hit by a bus tomorrow morning. That could happen too. We don't know. We don't know. But it would be a consideration. I don't want to dismiss mm-hmm. it and say it doesn't matter. That's not true either. But it's just speculation. The, the question becomes then. Here's what it boils down to risk and reward. It's like everything else, man. What's the risk? We know the risk. What's the reward? Hmm. Now we can go head to head with Netflix. I don't know. We don't know. We just don't know. Meaning if, if NBC universal and a streaming platform and they really want to get aggressive, who's going to go after Netflix? They're number one. What better opportunity would there be? And to acquire all of these rights and really, really go after streaming with them. I don't know, man. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I think in the case of media rights, yes, there is a risk that that issue could prevent or mitigate the value, pre- prevent a, a sale, or prevent someone from wanting to purchase rights or potentially mitigate them, reduce them because of that, because of the risk. I don't think that has any impact at all on the sale. I agree. I agree on that too. I think, I think those are two different circumstances, a sale yep. versus media rights negotiations, especially because you take controlling interest in sale and you can, in theory, rid yourself of anything that you feel is not uh, kosher with you per se. Well, and again, you know, if it's NBC universal, whatever happened in the past in any situation didn't happen under their watch. So right. the, the media, you know, the, the media, you know, issue about it and, and the, the Me Tooism of it all, um, it's going to exist and you're going to hear about it. But at the end of the day, it didn't happen under NBC Universal's watch or Comcast's watch or Fox's watch or Joe Blow's watch. You know, some individual comes along and buys it or a private investment group buys it. It didn't happen under their watch. The stock being up 20%. 
do you attribute that to again speculating this this is the speculation part of the podcast okay guys uh, do you attribute that to vince specifically being back in charge here or just the notion that a sale and media rights could be incoming yeah i, th- I think i think people are betting on a sale that'd be my guess you know, if, if I had a couple million dollars laying around, first of all, I would have invested in WWE when they let George and Michelle go and the stock took a big dive down into whatever it was, the 30s or low 40s. I would have bought in then. Um, but if I had a couple million bucks sitting around right now, um, I'd have thrown it in the pot anticipating a sale. And, and, and if it looked like that's the direction it was going to go, I'd hold on to that. Um and, and just ride that out. If it started to look like a sale wasn't going to happen, and this is going to be a different kind of a transaction, and it was a media rights deal instead, I, I would probably look for something more fun to play with. What a fascinating, fascinating time this is. It's, I really don't think we're going to see anything like this again. It's- no, and I'll tell you what, the hardest thing for me, brother, is, you know, there's a few people that I stay in pretty close touch with, in, in WWE, but I, I haven't even, I won't reach out to them. You know, I, I just won't because it's, it would be the wrong thing to do. Even if it was just a social, socially, you know, Hey, how you feeling today? You know, anything. it's like, I wouldn't do that. You know? Um, although I did send a text yesterday that was just a funny text. It was just a joke. Nothing. It was innocuous, but it was funny, but that's the only reach out I've made. But can you imagine being in WWE right now? Especially if you're one of the newer hires that was brought back or someone brought in for this new. Well, the talent came back. Look, they've got contracts. These contracts aren't going to go away just because, well, it depends what those, how they're written. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. It's a WWE contract. So, yeah, I mean, I thought about, you know, Steve Regal. Um, it's funny. Steve Coffin just brought it up. Uh, our producer, Steve's a, just in case you're listening, Steve's, on he's steve's on here with us but he's giving me probably notes every once in a while to remind me of things that i should bring up and i appreciate it but i was thinking about uh regal last night because you know here's a guy who and i you know i hung out with steve a little bit um when what month was that? i don't remember it was it was this past summer or spring or whatever it was um i hung out with steve down in dallas he stayed at an airbnb that Myself and Conrad, some of the ad-free shows team was at. We sat outside one morning and had coffee and had just the greatest talk. And I, I really got to know Steve Regal so much better as a human being that morning than I did having worked with him for a long time. You, you know, you learn about people in different ways. You know, you work with somebody, you, you know they're working, you have a working personal relationship. But oftentimes, you don't really get to know what makes them tick until you have a personal non-working relationship. And I sat with Steve and we, we chatted and I walked away from that. And we didn't talk about anything in particular, you know, it was just a general conversation, but I walked away knowing that my initial impressions of Regal early on as a man of integrity and honesty and class, that was always my impression of Regal having spent, an hour, hour and a half, having coffee with him one morning outside. Um, I would, I thought, man, I underestimated him. It's just such a class act. So for, for Steve to get let go the way he did 
I know I've been there, man. It, it hurts. It, it's an impact and you can, you can tough it out. You can tell everybody, nah, it's fine. I'm moving on. You can, you can say whatever you want to say, but deep down inside it hurts and you start questioning yourself. Maybe a little bit, maybe a lot, depending on the situation. My impression is, is, is that Steve was very disappointed. It's like he had unfinished business. And I think that's probably what bothered Steve, possibly more than anything. But Steve got through it, and then he makes the move to AEW. And I think he was on a great trajectory there. He's such a great character. But because of loyalty which is an admirable quality, one that I hold above all else personally um, because of loyalty and because of that sense of unfinished business to make a decision and have whatever conversation he had with Tony Khan. And by the way, props to Tony Khan for doing the right thing with Steve Regal. That, that says a lot about Tony Khan's character, in my opinion, not that he gives a shit, but it does. Um, but for Steve to make that move and then go back with the anticipation of being able to finish your unfinished business, but not only be able to finish your unfinished business, but doing it in a way that you believe in so passionately. I know, I don't know. I have to believe that that was a major, major inspiration or motivation for Regal. And then to have this, this fall on you hours after you've actually made your return or days or whatever it was, it's got to be kind of a roller coaster ride. Got to be. And it's in a vice president role. And he came back in too. So that's, that's precarious positioning there as in, in that spot. Well, not necessarily. Look, I, again, impressions, all I have. I think Vince McMahon has a fair amount of respect for Steve Regal. I'm, I'm confident in saying that. I know I got my prediction wrong. Like, I'm, I'm not really, you know, not going to get any awards this week for being on the money about this one. But um, my sense of being around them has been that there's a fair amount of respect there. So it doesn't necessarily mean that this is going to be bad for Steve. You know, we're jumping to a conclusion, and I'm doing it too, you know, that – Oh, this is going to play itself out where Vince is going to come back and just blow up everything that Triple H tried, just tried to do, right? Because that's the, that's the forward-facing drama that we can all kind of engage in and participate in trying to figure out how it's going to all play out. But I, I do believe that Vince has respect for, for Steve Regal and that Steve Regal has a lot to offer WWE. And I, I, at this point, I'm going to take what Vince has said at face value. That he's okay. coming in here to maximize rights and or, or explore a sale and to not necessarily get involved in the operational day-to-day. And if that's the case, then Steve Regal's got nothing to worry about. But at this point, I think, despite what we may feel or our emotions lead us to believe or our desire to, you know, predict the end of the movie, because that's what we're all doing, including me, um, you know, it kind of forces us to lean into the most salacious outcomes doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. Well, if you were to take Vince McMahon at his word, Eric, you can say that his return to WWE 
is strictly business and nothing more. I guess we'll find out. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? I mean, this is what a great time. You know, I only wish that we would have recorded my predictions, you know, well, I wish this show would have been in place of that show, <laughs> but I've had fun with it, man. I've had fun with it. Yes. And I think I'm on track for a couple of my other predictions to come true. So I, 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 would say so too. I would say so too. You can go check that out in the archives guys, 83 weeks.com. Make sure that you are subscribed to the 83 weeks feed. That's where strictly business drops every single week as well on YouTube. And Steve Kaufman does a great job with all of that. Eric, is there anything else you want to add here as we wrap up our discussion on this breaking news edition of Strictly Business? No, I just, you know, I want to encourage people to realize that, like John and I have tried to do on this show, that, you know, we're, 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 we're looking at what we know and we're also recognizing what we don't know. And I, I've read a lot of the stuff that's floating around online. Uh, you know, I checked in with PW Insider. I love the coverage there. And I think Mike Johnson especially did a great job today. And I know Sean Ressap is doing a great job. And there are others who are doing, you know, a good job, credible job following this and not getting off track and, you know, with their personal narratives and agendas. And I, I very much appreciate those who are covering this business like that. You know, those who aren't, you know, if you're reading it, just realize that, Nobody knows anything. Nobody knows anything. We know what we read and we know what we feel. And what we feel is based on emotions, not information. So we just got to be a little careful with that. And I think if you look at it this way, you'll enjoy it more because this is, this is a ride folks. This is, this is the most interesting, entertaining, dramatic thing that has ever happened in the wrestling business in or out of the ring. And it's a, it's fascinating. And I'm, grateful to be here to, to be a part of it or just watch it. Um, but be careful about going too far with, with what your emotions tell you and, and what people like Dave Meltzer and their narratives will try to tell you. Um, just look at it, look at the facts, have fun with it and keep tuning into uh, strictly business because if this news keeps breaking at this pace, John, you and I and Steve are going to be doing a show a day. <laughs> hey, one more thing. Uh-huh. For, for our listeners, if you're listening to Strictly Business and you like this show, you know, John and I are, and Steve are working really hard to build it up because we want to continue doing it as a standalone podcast. We, we prefer not to put it behind a paywall. So if you enjoy this show, please subscribe, like, give us a couple five-star ratings if you can. Talk your friends and family into it. <laughs> um but also tell your friends and family that are interested in the wrestling business, spread the word, man, go on social media and get people to subscribe to 83 weeks wherever they get their podcast, because they'll automatically get strictly business when you do. So I encourage you to do that because this is so much fun for John and I and Steve, and we hope that you're having fun with it too. And we hope that you walk away from these shows with just a reasonable feel for what's going on and and feel slightly enlightened because we do try to bring up facts and information and at least perspectives that are outside of the normal course of wrestling narrative. I've learned a lot doing this show with you and I've had so many people, even this morning, uh, Andrew Zarian of the Matt men on, on the wrestling observer, 
put over strictly business and said he's he thinks it's just one of the most fascinating podcasts out there so uh we appreciate all of those great comments you guys have been sending our way we see all those tweets and please keep sending them as eric said it's greatly appreciated uh this has been really fantastic eric and you're right who knows in 24 hours maybe we're laying down another episode of this. <laughs> but all of a it's uh, it's wild. It's funny when when the news first broke like a month ago that Vince was exploring a potential return. I, I messaged someone who would have pretty good knowledge. Of it. I said, what do you what do you think? Like out of 10, what would you say the likelihood is? They said four out of 10. Then last night or, or two days ago, I got a message that just said six out of 10. And this morning when I woke up, Eric, it just said 10 out of 10. So and, and that's another fact. I have to keep doing it. I have to keep this show going on forever. But that's another fascinating thing about this is this is like happened with. Yep this isn't a timeline it's a nope. stopwatch yeah you know, it's like geez oh man you know it's just fascinating how quickly this all happened and went down well eric thank you so much for your time here today and thank you everyone for listening in and watching this episode of strictly business with eric bischoff we'll see you next time John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.